So, good morning, everyone. This is our kind of first long weekend of the summer, and uh, so happy candidate, everyone. We have ice cream sandwiches for everybody before you go today, and um, so we're going to have those available for you in the lobby, and that'll be that'll be exciting and fun. Um, do you like ice cream sandwiches? Yeah. Okay. Good. I, I, th I thought we hit a home run there, but I was a little nervous because it was just sort of like you were looking for something a bit different. Uh, but good, we'll get a chance to connect on this long weekend, and it's it's red and white day, and uh, this is what we were we were looking to accomplish together. So don't we live in a fantastic country? Absolutely, 100% we do. Uh, and Pastor Al prayed so well and so appropriately there that there is no perfect country because we are the country, right? It's 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 not this other group of people. It's us. And, uh, you know, when we look in the mirror, we see ourselves staring back, and we see the flaws and imperfections, and we see them in ourselves and in our neighbors. And um, so, but I think it's a pretty good country. Um, I, I think sometimes we can be, as Canadians, potentially, just like the rest of the world, be half-glass empty people. And we, we look at what's real, and we kind of emphasize maybe what's lacking. And, uh, and at the same time, people of faith and people who lift are to be people, I think, who would be a little more the half, uh, the glass is half full, right? We've got a lot of things working for us in, in Canada. And uh, like, listen, no perfect health care, right? No perfect education, but pretty good. Pretty good. I would say it's pretty good. And uh, you, you go and travel to other parts of the world and you go, yeah, we've got it really good here in Canada. So um, it doesn't mean that we don't advocate for how we can make it better. But at the same time, I just think we ought to be people who, who focus on what's working well too, right? What's working well too. So we're blessed. And um, listen, if you happen to be new to us, you may not know this, but King Street Community Church pays for a membership for every person who is attached to us as a church family member. Uh, you can go onto our website and get access to Right Now Media, and it has a boatload of resources for the whole family, including for the kids. Kids are out of school now, as of a few days ago. Everyone's excited about that? Yeah, parents are, uh, have mixed feelings. Teachers, administrators are saying, yes, all right. Um, anyway, we have resources for the whole family, ways of helping partner with you to make disciples of your family. And it, like I said, there is so much good stuff. Head over to our website, kingstreet.org, type in Right Now Media in the search bar, and it'll pull it up, and you can register and get access to a, a bunch of good resources there for you, okay? Uh, so we're, we're starting, or we started a new series of scripture talks last week on the book of Colossians. Uh, if perhaps you're new to the Bible, Paul is the author, and he uh, writes a series of books in the New Testament, and uh, Colossians is written from the uh, middle of the first century, from a prison cell, uh, where the Apostle Paul had once, if you read in the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, uh, you'll, you'll see a chapter, chapter 9, where Paul was bent on destroying the church, and he is persecuting the people of God. And then he has an encounter with the Lord that changes everything about his life. And now he is in a first century prison suffering for making the announcement that Jesus is king. And so quite a, a turn of events for the Apostle Paul. But he writes this four chapter book called Colossians because he's writing to a group of people who live in a place called Colossae. That's why it's called Colossians. And uh, he, he's writing about the supremacy of King Jesus. Uh, we mentioned this last week, if you were with us, that Paul is writing about not adding Jesus to an already full worldview. He's not adding Jesus to another series of lowercase g gods. He is saying Jesus is supreme. He is king over heaven and earth. And there are some beautiful, beautiful passages in Colossians that clearly instruct the early Christians to recognize and hold tenaciously to that truth that Jesus is king. And so for us on this candidate weekend, what we are doing is celebrating what it means to be Canadian, but we are Christians first, those of us who've put our saving faith in Christ. We recognize that Canada is a wonderful place to call home for now, right? For now. Those of us who have, again, put our saving faith in Jesus, realize that there is a day coming when we will leave this world 
and we will be at home with the Lord. And so uh, we are Christians first, Canadians second, but because we're fully devoted Jesus followers, we're committed to making our corner of the world a better place, right? I believe that when vibrant churches are all over the place in this country, our country can only get better because we're raising up the next generation to be leaders and teachers and, and uh, business leaders and just making an influence, a contribution to our community and world. And as I mentioned, I think it was last week, Mother Teresa said, if all of us just clean the outside of our home, the whole world would be clean, right? So we all take responsibility for lifting our country. And I unashamedly say this, that Canada is not a perfect place, but it's a good place. And it's largely because there has been a Judeo-Christian worldview adopted over the years that has provided a rule of law and a social lift to our country. And we are living on the wake of that beautiful worldview, imperfect and flawed to some degree, right? Because we're people who implement the worldview. We haven't done it right all the time. But there has been a lift socially. And uh, as we move away, right? We got a front row seat to this. As we move away from a Judeo-Christian worldview and we adopt a secularist, a secular idea or ideology, we will see the wake shift. But we're not giving up, right, as Christian Canadians? We pray and we live and we're, we're going to give ourselves to living a fully devoted life and spread the word that Jesus is king. And uh, may there be a, even in a pluralistic culture that we live in, May there be a strong sense of, yeah, this worldview works because it does work. It's, it's the good and beautiful life that Jesus came to invite us into. So we don't look with arrogance down on our neighbor who has a different worldview. We share our worldview with them. And uh, we, we spread the virus of Christian faith. And it lifts and makes the world better. Do you believe the Christian faith makes the world better? Has the gospel of Jesus made your life better? Paul the Apostle would say that the gospel of Jesus made his life better, even though he was sitting in a first century prison, right? Circumstances may be hard. We may pay a steep price for being a Jesus-following person, but there is way more at stake here than just the circumstances of our lives. There is inner joy and peace and rightness. I've been reading this Jewish book about the way of the upright. And when we live an upright life, there is nothing like it. And one day it will be recognized fully on the other side for what it looks like to live a, an upright life. So uh, our passage to ponder, that was just my, my brief introduction there for us. Our passage to ponder for today is the same one we looked at last week. It will be the same one we'll take with us during the summer series. Colossians chapter 3, one of my favorites. Uh, wow, I love this so much. I got to be careful I don't camp on this for the rest of the morning. But since then, you have been raised with Christ. Anybody here been raised with Christ? The rest of this has a lot to do with you. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Paul wanted the Colossians to know that, yes, Jesus was crucified, yes, he was buried, and yes, he rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. In Greek, there are, there's no punctuation periods or anything. So it's just, it's just one big thought. He says, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Um, the way to joy in the Christian life is by being fully devoted. I think some of the most miserable people on the planet are the people who just have enough religion, just enough to sort of make them feel safe regarding the insurance about life on the other side. But they've cozied up to the world, they've flirted with all sorts of compromises, and they are conflicted internally is an understatement. They are the most, I would say, unhappy people. And that's why in some settings you can go to a religious context and say, how come these people seem so unhappy? 
The answer to that for us, when Christ who is your life appears. You see, the, see what Paul's saying there? When Christ, who, he's making a massive assumption that Jesus is the point of our life. And he's writing this to Colossians in the first century when it wasn't always easy to be a Christian. And he says, there's only one kind of follower. It's the one who's fully invested, fully devoted, an all-in Christian. That's where the joy is. That's where the peace is. The, the, the misery has just got enough religion to make me miserable. I know the truth. I'm familiar with the truth. I kind of been told it all my life. Haven't adopted a lot of it and internalized it, but I know it. It's out there. And they, they say sometimes religious people, and by the way, I'm numbering myself with the religious people. It's not, it's not you people out there somewhere. It's us. They say sometimes religious people, because they heard it, they believe they did it, and all is well. And so week after week, someone like me gives a talk, and I invite you into the ways of God, and, and because we heard it, and we say amen to it, we walk away, and it's sort of like, well, I heard it, sort of like unconsciously or subconsciously, because I heard it and I know it, all is well. What does James say? You know, the person who stares at themselves in a mirror and forgets what they look like and goes away, that's, that's problematic. Right? The word of God is to be done. It's to be acted upon. It's to be doers of the word. And so sometimes if I'm simple with the teaching, it's because Jesus is probably much more interested in us doing what we know than knowing more and more but doing nothing with it. That's an amen moment for everybody here. Amen. I can parse out the Greek. I can drive her deep. I can just give you guys. I can go there. I honestly can. I, I, can, I can drive the message really, really deep. I've had 30 years. I've had a couple of advanced degrees. I know where to go. But at the end of the day for us, love God, love people, serve the world. Love God, love people, serve the world. What good is it? What does, what does Paul say? Um, knowledge puffs up and love builds up. Um, what good is it if I can speak in the tongues of man, I can speak prophetically, if I have vast of mysterious knowledge and I have not love? What does Paul say? I'm nothing. So my job as a preacher teacher, our job as preacher teachers is to invite you into the good and beautiful life and then to just start practicing it. So the $1 car wash. We're trying to surprise people with grace. In a, in a world that where you earn everything and critique everything, we're saying grace is a beautiful divine surprise. And so we wash people's cars. It's just a simple way of doing something to refresh our community, to serve the world. Everybody could use a car wash. But most importantly, it's not about a dollar at all. It's just surprising someone with grace. That's it trying to drive home the gospel message in a really practical, tangible way. So at King Street Community Church, we are devoted, committed to making disciples. And, um, and Colossians, as we work through this series, uh, is going to be a big help in that. So, so Paul's writing. And uh, so last week, we talked about faith, hope, and love, if you were with us. And if you weren't, you can catch up on our YouTube channel or our podcast. But it's just the next verse. This is all we're doing. No razzle-dazzle, uh, just there it is. What's the next verse? And so beginning at the uh, second part of verse 6 in Colossians chapter 1, Paul continues writing from prison. Uh, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. We'll pause there for just a sec. The gospel, by the way, in our world is advancing and growing in lots of places. It's in Western cultures where there's a little bit of a pause and maybe a regression. COVID has created some challenges, no question about it. Some people are deconstructing their faith. Maybe there's a sermon there at some point. Uh, but some people, and by the way, deconstructing your faith is not a bad thing as long as you construct something following it that's more biblical. I, I met with somebody recently. We had a great coffee because he said he was deconstructing his faith. We had a wonderful, honest conversation. And at the end of it, the homework assignment for him was to go home and rethink the gospel and to rethink the role of scripture in forming faith. Um, 
There's a lot going on these days in our COVID world, and Christians, church-going people, are bumping up against um, new thoughts and ideas and questions. And some are opting for deconstruction. Is that a new word for some of you? Probably not. It just means we're going to dismantle, and for many people, they're dismantling and leaving it a bunch of parts unassembled. And they're choosing, they're choosing an approach to uh, life and faith and scripture where they, and I've said this many times at King Street, they sit over and above and they critique the, pa the passage, they critique the scripture. I don't mean having a conversation and having, asking good, honest questions, but critiquing it. It's a posture of the heart. And I have said for years at King Street, we come under the teaching of scripture. There's a very big difference. When I say the word of God, I may not fully grasp it and understand it. I can qu ask questions of it. I can wrestle with it. I can, I can ask others. I can live in community and we can digest it together and work it through all of that. Absolutely, 100%. But if I don't have high regard for scripture and I put myself over and above it and my space and time opinions, I will end up probably deconstructing and leaving it as a bunch of loose parts. I think we always need to, every generation needs to take a look at the gospel and say, what does that mean historically and how does it get applied in this culture? And so um, I think it is the signs of the times. I listened to someone uh, the other day with my wife on a podcast, an authority, if I said his name, you'd say, yeah, I know who that person is. He believes to his toes that right now in history, there is a culmination of what Paul wrote about where there was this, in the last days, um, the love of many will grow cold. Uh, there will be a, a shaking, so to speak, of the foundations. Some will be left standing, others will walk away. I, there, there is something going on this, in this day that we're living in right now, and probably other generations may have said it with the same conviction, but I'm saying it again today, is to guard your heart. Guard your heart. The culture is strong. The gospel is to be preeminent in our lives. Jesus is supreme. We live in a pluralistic culture where the ideas and the ideologies superabound. Our neighbors can be from all sorts of world religions and adopt all sorts of different views on life. And we respect all of them. And we live in hopefully vibrant relationship with all of them. But we've allowed the roots of the gospel to go down deep into our lives and we are attached firmly to Jesus. There are some ideologies that are very comfortable with Jesus. Just attach them to another worldview. I know the Hindu religion would be big on that. They've got a myriad of gods. Just put Jesus into the mix. It's all good. That is the antithesis of what Paul is preaching and teaching and writing here. Paul is saying there is one true God. Jesus Christ is his son. And he is the savior and the Lord of both heaven and earth. And it is a tough message in a pluralistic country of Canada. People say you're narrow-minded. You guys need to be broad or your worldview is too confining. Jesus is the one who said the way is narrow. He didn't say his followers should be narrow-minded. He said the way is narrow, which means that we got to leave some things behind. It's like, a, it's like a turnstile. I always think about it like a turnstile. You can't take everything through that turnstile. You got to leave some stuff behind. So the gospel is an invitation to come and to walk this way of life, but we can't take everything with us, our baggage. We got to put it down. We can't take all that worldview stuff with us. I know people in this, in this congregation who used to be Hindu. They've come to saving faith in Jesus. They've had to leave all those other lowercase g gods behind. They don't come with you. The gospel of Jesus is exclusive. There's exclusive claims there. And, and it's a broad call to love neighbor, but it's exclusive claims. This is Paul. And we're only just a few words into this passage, but He's saying here, in the same way the gospel's bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, we need to be clear about the gospel, just as it has been doing among you, Paul says, since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from a man named Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the spirit. 
And for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. That's what leaders do. They, they pray for the people they serve. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And this is our underlined preaching theme for this morning. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Do you want to please the Lord this morning? He says, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. I love this part. For he has, past tense, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And every person who's been forgiven says amen to that. All right, so in the remaining time we have left, I want to talk about three ways we can approach life. We can approach life uh, seeking to please ourselves. We can approach life um, seeking to please others. And we can approach life uh, seeking to please, please the Lord. So uh, we can live to please ourselves. Uh, first of all, right out of the gate, we need to say this. Pleasure is not evil. Uh, pleasure is not wrong. Pleasure is not immoral. It can be, but in itself, it is not. Uh, it's defined as a feeling of happy satisfaction and enjoyment. Who doesn't want that? And our creator in Psalm 139 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He has arranged all of the nerve endings of the body, the taste buds, the colors, the sounds, the textures, all of that in just the way so that we might experience the joy of what it means to be human. He's done that on purpose, not because God is a killjoy, the antithesis of that. God wants you and I to experience lasting joy, lasting delight. Um, let me read this passage. This is for all of us, by the way, especially in the Western world. First Timothy chapter six, he says in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world. Anybody who lives in the 21st century in the West, for the most part, can be numbered here among the rich. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Stock market, real estate market, uncertainty, right? Super abounds. You're rich in one moment and less rich in the next. He says, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. And here's, let's look at this. I love this about God. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God gives wealth, not just to help others, though it's important to do so. There's a moral responsibility when he gives wealth, but he wants us to enjoy it. God is not a killjoy. He wants us to experience pleasure and enjoyment. It's not wrong. Now, in the very next breath, in that same passage, Paul says, be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share, he says, so they may take hold of life that is truly life. And so um, self-care strategies for people to look after themselves, and I hope this summer you'll do that. I hope you do it throughout the year, but especially during the summer months. Self-care strategies actually include, and this has been empirically validated, if we're going to take good care of ourselves, it includes taking care of other people. Isn't that kind of ironic? We think self-care is going off to the spa and shutting out the rest of the world. It might include it for an hour one day. That would be wonderful. Or for the whole day, perhaps, at the spa. Um, but it's not about living a life that is self-centered. It is the, the, the research tells us that part of taking good care of ourselves is making space to take care of other people too. And that's what Paul writes about here. As he's writing to Timothy, he says, we ought to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. But he also includes this tension. God gives us things so that we can enjoy them too. So really, really important. Now, the caution for us in this is that if we live a life which is a pursuit of pleasure, philosophers call it hedonism, if we go down that road and become hedonists, it's counterintuitive. We go and pursue pleasure for ourselves. We will end up being empty and miserable people because we were not made for that. Our design is not about pursuing pleasure, which is an end in itself for ourselves. 
and what is the object of our pursuit of pleasure really matters. Because Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, and he says um, what love is all about. He says, love does not delight in evil. It doesn't take pleasure in evil, but rather it rejoices in the truth. And so there is the object of the pleasure really, really matters in what it does to us. Um, you've, you've heard of this um, um, this allegory where there is this Cherokee chief um, grandfather, actually, who is talking to his grandson about what it means to be human. He talks about the struggles of his life, and he talks about the two wolves. You've heard about the two wolves before, right? Where there are these two wolves, so to speak, according to the Cherokee Indian, he was talking to his grandson, that there is this wolf that wants him to do good and do the, to do the right thing, but there's this other wolf in there that seems to be in conflict and inviting him to do wrong and to go in another direction. It's a, it's a picture for us where Paul is writing about how every human being is conflicted, right? This is what it means to be human. We have conscience. And, and those of us who have um, nurtured the conscience have a sensitivity to the voice of God in the soul. That's what our Catholic brothers and sisters call conscience, the voice of God in the soul. And so every human, whether you believe in God or you don't, has a conscience. When we are tempted to go a certain way, uh, our conscience may show or, or provide some resistance to that. Now, when you become a believer and you put your saving faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in your human spirit and makes you alive. You are now regenerate. You've been made alive to God. And so you're no longer in the kingdom of darkness. You're in the kingdom of light or the kingdom of God. With that comes more conflict, more inner conflict, because we still have a sinful nature that has not been eradicated till we're with God in heaven. But the Holy Spirit is witnessing to our human spirit saying, this is the way, walk in it. And we say, well, there's a way that seems right to man, <laughs> and I want to do it this way. But scripture is our guide and says, but in the end, it leads to death. And so all of us have this inner conflict going on, and pleasure can be a part of that. And so here's Paul in his words, Galatians 5. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. The Cherokee Indian says to his grandson, or the grandson asks the, his grandfather, uh, well, what, what one is strongest? Which one wins out in the end? And you know the answer, right? He says, the one that you feed. The one that you feed is the one that becomes the strongest. And so for us, when it comes to living a life to please ourselves, sometimes we have to say no. I was talking to a friend of mine just before the, the worship gathering out in the lobby. We're having a really good, honest conversation about interactions we've had with people. And, and it's important for, for us, even as men, to, um, you know, you're looking around and you're seeing somebody, but you're married. This person said, you say to yourself, no, this is my wife and I will be faithful to her. And so all of us have these opportunities to be tempted to do evil or to plant in our lives a pursuit of pleasure, but it can take us in all the wrong directions. And so just because it pleases us doesn't mean it's good for us. And we're living in a culture, right, where pleasure opportunities are super abounding. And it's easy to fall into a trap, to find a ditch, because it felt good, we did it, and now we're trapped. And so we need to say no to sin and evil and to the invitation of pleasure when the object of it is going to take us in all the wrong directions. So we can live to please ourselves, one option. Number two, we can live to please other people. That's an option too. Uh, again, back to our text, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him, right? Not others. doesn't say and please others in every way. Um, talking about traps, pleasing others, living to please others is a trap. It is a trap. I'm sure in a, a gathering like this, all of us can relate to some degree where either it's our family of origin where our parents or our siblings or extended family have had agendas or intentions for our lives, and we've had to write a new script 
Maybe you're in a highly controlling family and somebody handed you a script and said, there it is. This is what it means to be a Larmer. This is what it means to be a Heath. This is what it means uh, to be a Waterhouse. This is what it means to be in this family. And the script was given to you. And you felt this internal pressure to live it out because you loved your family. You wanted them to smile over your aspirations. But by the time you turned 30, you said to yourself, I don't know if I like this script anymore. I want to write my own. And all of us, when we're healthy and well-adjusted humans, what we do is we have this beautiful tension of connection and togetherness, especially with our family of origin. That's the way it's intended to be anyway. We have a, a connection. There's a togetherness there. And when we're healthy, there is a separateness to it. I feel connected, I feel like I belong, but I know who I am, I have autonomy, I can make my own decisions, I have boundaries around where I begin and end, and if we don't establish those, we may end up living to please other people. And when that happens, we miss out the opportunity to truly be the image-bearing reflections we were made to be. Our personality will be conformed in some way, we will spend our energy pursuing perhaps vocations that we don't like, educational tracks that are not interesting to us. Wouldn't it be sad to get to the end of your days and feel like you lived out somebody else's agenda for your life? The, this people-pleasing trap can lead to conformity and loss of contribution. Um, the loss of contribution is I didn't give back to the world what I was created to do. What's my purpose? What am I made to do in this world? I'm thankful I grew up in a family where my parents empowered me in really healthy ways, gave me lots of freedom and autonomy to find my way. Just perhaps, it just happens to be that I'm following in my father as a vocational minister, but I never felt any pressure for that at all. It was a calling from God. What is God's calling over your life? God has a purpose for you. And it doesn't matter how old you are, by the way, for that purpose. That purpose is still there and needing to be fulfilled. I'm doing another degree right now, I've told you before, because I feel like there is more purpose that that degree will help me accomplish in my life. I don't want to get to the end of the days and say, I ran out of time. I didn't do the things because I was either afraid or I shrunk back, it was going to cost me too much. I want to do it. I want to live well. I want to, make, I want to maximize my contribution. You know, one of the things I'm passionate about is the church being really well-positioned for the day that we are alive so that we can maximize kingdom influence, not in the pretend world that we think exists, but in the real world that does exist. Mental health is a massive problem in our culture. Massive problem. I listened to a podcast the other day, well-regarded, credible person. He says, there is something terribly wrong with the human family. Do you know, prior to COVID, there were 10 incidents a month on airplanes where there would be either some sort of violent expression or some sort of acting out on the plane. There are a lot of planes up in the air at one time. Remember 9-11, they all had to come down and find a place? 10 incidents a month. Do you know what they are now? 500, where there's some sort of reporting that's happening where someone's acting out on the plane. People are unwell. People are provoked easily. Um, this person hosting the podcast said his wife was at a Costco, went to put the card away and didn't put it away properly, and someone just went off on her. People are like a tinderbox these days. We're not going to get out of this. Just so you know, this is what the experts are saying. We are not going to get out of this for a really long time. The unwellness that has been fostered during the extended periods of isolation and the traumatic change, it's actually called collective trauma that we have all experienced. And so our mental health is not what it once was. Now, some of us who have taken good care of ourselves, thanks be to God, maybe have not had weaknesses and propensities. We're doing pretty well. We might even say we're thriving or flourishing, but a lot of people around us are not. So back to the church. I want to be a part of a church community that looks at real needs and does something about them. 
Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we had an army of opportunities to reach out where spirituality and mental health came together and we were able to help people be well in this world and discover that there's more to life than what they've experienced up to this point in this world? Wouldn't it be a beautiful kingdom strategy to use the need of the culture to literally add value as an end in itself, but then while we're adding value, people are finding Jesus? One of the hardest things for people right now is to find affordable mental health care. What if the church could help with that? What if we could actually help people who don't have benefits and don't have money, but who are suffering and struggling and acting out and destroying themselves and their families and their future? They could find the support they needed through the church. Anyway, just a little vision that's sort of starting to prompt in my own soul and not just mine, but some others as well. And um, we can live to please ourselves, we can live to please others, or you know where this is going. We can live to please God. So this is, this is the end of the talk. Three passages for you. We can live to please God. Three passages. Galatians 5. Those who belong to Christ Jesus. Do you belong to Christ Jesus? All right. So those of you who belong to Christ Jesus, this is for you. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, this is our first point for this morning, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and have crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, we're now alive by the Spirit. It's not just us trying to do good in the world. We talked about that last week. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Every part of our lives is every part of our lives. We have crucified those old desires. They seem so real. I feel them. I experience them. But I go back and say, I've nailed them to the cross. I am not going to be mastered anymore by those passions and drives and desires the way I once was because they take me to dead end streets. I am instead going to live a vibrant, fully alive life that the Spirit gives. The Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood member of the, tri of the Trinity or the triune God. The reason why is we understand what a father is, right? Even if we didn't have a good relationship with our father, we understand what a father is. We understand what a son is. But a spirit? Anybody ever seen a spirit? In the King James Version, the language is Holy Ghost. Anybody seen a ghost? I remember watching Casper on TV, Casper the Ghost. <laughs> Different ghost. There is an intangibility about the Holy Spirit that creates all sorts of fear and hesitancy in people. And do you know why that's the case? Because the Holy Spirit has been blamed for a lot of things that he didn't do. The Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood member of the Trinity. Here's what the Holy Spirit is all about. He's as mysterious as understanding the wind, right? Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and he says, the wind blows here and there. You can't grasp it. You can't contain it. It's, it there's a life of its own. You see its impact. It's hard to know where it's going, where it came from. This is the Spirit. This is the language that Jesus uses when he's describing the Spirit. But the Spirit has come to do these things. Make Jesus known in the world. Anytime you see a work of the Spirit, you know what's happening? Jesus is all over the place. When there is a work of the Spirit and Jesus is at the edges, be very, very careful to call it a work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit has Jesus at the center. He has come to make him known in the world. Right? Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. The Holy Spirit has come to help the Christians fulfill the mission of Jesus, which is to help lost people become found. So if you are in an environment where there is a, the Spirit is working, people are coming to saving faith in Christ. The mission of Jesus is advancing. The Holy Spirit is also convicting the world of sin, 
counseling us in righteousness. He is the one who empowers us to do the next right thing. You and I do not want to live the Christian life without the help of the Holy Spirit. Let me say this. You can't live the Christian life without the help of the Spirit. If you try to do it, you're going to be a very miserable person and you're going to have a list of rules that you try to keep and you're going to fail miserably. I promise you that. I have been around some settings. I had a, I've, I've had some beautiful moments in my life when I have been in the authentic presence of the Spirit of God. And it is life-giving. It lifts. There's beauty. There's, there's, it's like the fragrance of Jesus is in the space. I've also been in some settings where the Holy Spirit's words were used. His name was pronounced over a lot of activity. And the activity was inconsistent. Inconsistent with what the Bible says the Spirit is to be doing in the world and in the church. And so I want, I want to go on record to say this. I want the fullness, the fullness of the Spirit the fullness of the authentic movement of the Spirit. Lord, let it come. Let it come. But I want the authentic. If you've ever been in the presence of the authentic Spirit of God, you know what I'm talking about. And if you've been in something that felt a little manufactured and a little bit at the edge there, you know what I'm talking about too. We have this beautiful invitation to be in the presence. And every time we meet, I want to I believe this to my toes that it's true. Every time we meet, if Jesus' words are true, then this is true. Every time we meet as a cluster of Christians in this place that we're doing his will by worshiping the, the one true God, the spirit is here. The spirit is here. And, and guess what? When you leave this place, you take him with you. You don't leave him here. And the reason why the Spirit is here in a fresh, beautiful way is because you bring him here. I bring him here. He's in us. And I have a broad view of the Spirit. He is everywhere. You cannot go to a place where he is not. And so that's why God speaks to Moses and says, take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy. It's just a bush. But when God is present and when you become aware of it, he says, take off your sandals. The common becomes sacred and beautiful when you are aware that the spirit is present. I want us to inhale the spirit in this environment in an authentic way so that when we go out in the world, we have a, we have a, a deeper exhale to offer the world around us that is full of the Spirit and full of life. Our families need this. Our workplaces need this. Our world needs this. They always have. But right now, in the broken condition of our world, we need Christians who are full of the Spirit who exhale the fullness of the Spirit to the world around them. And it's not going to happen by me and the rest of the pastoral team giving you a list of things to do next week. It's not going to work like that. We're not smart enough. We're not good enough. It's just going to be another social movement. The gospel and the people of God is not a social movement. It is a spiritual movement. And when we understand that, we're well positioned to bring about some change. Can I keep going? I'm not done yet here. All right, Paul says, there's ice cream sandwiches out there, but they are in the cooler, so you don't need to worry. I see a few of you looking over your shoulders saying, when are we getting the ice cream sandwiches? <laughs> I know how it works. It's more of the spirit or it's more of the ice cream. I know. <laughs> Let's choose the spirit. Okay? The ice cream can wait just for a few more minutes. All right. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Or of God. Am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Someone came up to me and gave me a word last week. Have you had somebody give you a word before? It's a good word. I'd heard it before. It was a good word. It encouraged me. It said, don't be afraid of men. Fear the Lord. It's a good word. It's a very good word. I say yes to that. We don't need to be afraid of people. If you don't like what I do, it's okay. 
I don't mean this as a pastor necessarily, even though that's the case too. <laughs> At the end of the day, I report to God, right? But if you don't approve of me, that's okay, as long as God approves. And, and if I don't approve of you, but God approves, that's okay too. So we, we say, let's leave a, live a life that pleases the Lord in all things. He says, or am I trying to please people, Paul writes. If I were still trying to please people, he says, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's not possible to consistently please others and please God. There will be a moment in your life, I tell my daughters this, you can't walk with everybody because some people don't want to walk with God. You set out on a journey with them and you want to go towards God and you want to please him with your life and then you get some friendships over here and they say, I don't want to go any further. Well, you might have to leave some of those people behind. You're still going to love them, care for them. You're still going to reach to them and help them be at their best, but I'm going somewhere else. You can't always please God and people. Sometimes you can when the people you're walking with want to walk the same way, but sometimes it's just not possible and we need to be okay with that. All right, so here's the end of this teaching, and then Pastor Al is going to come up. Um, so that you may live a life, right? This is the end of our passage. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Then he goes on and says, here's the four ways we do this. Bearing fruit in every good work. So the assumption is that you and I are going to be active doing good things. When the Spirit is working strongly in us, we're going to be doing good things with our lives. Bearing fruit in every good work, number one. Number two. Growing in the knowledge of God, we will say, I want to learn about you, Lord. That's what a disciple is, a learner, a student. I want to learn more about God. Growing in the knowledge of God. I don't want to get stalled out and stuck. I don't want to get stale. I want to learn more about God. And by the way, if you think you've learned all there is to know about God, friends, I don't know what kind of God you're looking to get to know, but he's not on a flannel board. He's not two-dimensional. There is an inexhaustible. So you've walked with him for a few decades. You have more to learn about Jesus, about God, about his ways, about how he works in the world. Yes, 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 and yes. And so do I. And by the way, some people, and I'm big on education, as you know. I'm big on it. I have a lot of respect for educators. I have a lot of respect for people who've spent a lot of time and money investing themselves in learning. But just because you have, have advanced degrees doesn't mean you know a lot more. There's, there's knowledge and then there's knowledge, right? There is a sense in which I can know about or I can know. I know about God, but do I know him? It's different. You know what I'm talking about, right, when I say that? I know about but I know. I can know about, degrees will help me with that. No, that's the stuff of life. That's the, that's the crucible. That's sometimes Gethsemane, getting crushed, right, in the wine press. You only know when you know and when you've been crushed what that's like. To, to have fellowship with Jesus and the participation of his sufferings means sometimes it's wine press, and, and nobody can hand you that. A three-point sermon will not do, right? It's the stuff of life that's hard. Growing in the knowledge of God, bearing, uh, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. There we go right there. If you want to be kept, if you want to stay and not quit and not cut and run, it's going to require his strength and his power that's at work in you that causes you to stay the course and to be faithful. And then finally, giving thanks, giving joyful thanks to the Father. We have a lot to be thankful for. That's how we'll wrap up this Canada Day weekend, giving joyful thanks to the Father. Why will we be thankful to him? Let's let the word of God be our final word for today. Because he has qualified you and he's qualified me to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Amen. All right, let me pray for you and Pastor Al is going to come. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you again today for your goodness and your grace for the word of God that is time-tested and true. 
Thank you for the work of the Spirit that causes a phrase or a word or a thought or an idea to stick to our soul in a different way than we had planned or we had anticipated, but a word came to us within the word of God and that something stood out to us. Lord, whatever that word is for us today, we pray that you would help us to receive it joyfully, to apply it with the Spirit's help skillfully to our lives and where we would be transformed and changed that we might grow. Lord, if we're going to be really honest in this place today, there is inner conflict that we are experiencing. We don't use the language of the wolves, but there is a, uh, a conflict between the Holy Spirit and our sinful nature. And sometimes, God, if we're going to be brutally honest, we don't always sow to the Spirit. Sometimes we sow to the lower nature. Sometimes we're not at our best. And Lord, even as we've talked about even the, the challenge that our world faces, that same challenge is in the church too. And some of the mental health issues that are all around us are actually within us. And uh, Lord, we, we pray today that you would help us to be well. May the shalom of God come over us. We pray for the well-being and the wholeness of God to come. Lord, give us what we need today. And what we need, Lord, is to be saturated with your spirit we need to be immersed in the word of God. We need to be up close and personal with the saints of God. We need to um, make an advanced decision to stay in step with the spirit. And Lord, we are novices. We are novices as it relates to learning and knowing you, tapping into the mysterious, immortal, invisible, the only wise God of heaven and earth. Who are we to think that we have cornered you, that we have framed you and understand you? God, you are way beyond the frames of our mind. Thankfully, Lord, our small brains cannot contain you because you are a massive God. Would you come, Lord, and show us this summer a greater depth of understanding of who you are, and may our understanding translate into changed behavior. And may the, the Christ, Jesus himself, may you incarnate yourself, Lord, in us. Put us on as clothing so that we can live. And may the fragrance of Jesus come off of our lives as we make our way in the world. Lord, so on this Canada Day weekend, we thank you for our country. We pray, Lord, for a spiritual awakening in our land. We pray, Lord, for a, um, a reignition, Lord, a reigniting of the Spirit's work in the hearts of the people of God. And we pray, Lord, that there would be a refreshed vision for what you want to do in these days. Lord, help us not to grow weary and well-doing well or to fall asleep, God, but to be wide awake to all that you ask of us. To all that you ask of us, Lord, let us be wide awake to that. Oh, Lord, awaken us to all that you have for us, and may we always stay aligned and centered to the mission of Jesus. And uh, Lord, we pray all of this. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.